We're going to talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. So to understand what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit, we have to understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit. So we're going to review just a little bit in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We have, we have to have some understanding of that, right? So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, I have it memorized in the NIV. So the NIV write, reads like this. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If it is a gift of grace, what does that mean? If it's a gift of grace, what does that mean? Well, it means that it's nothing that we can earn, right? It's something that's freely given from God to us, and we know that it is something that he has a desire to give to us. And that's doesn't make any sense to me, honestly. Why would God love someone who doesn't really particularly love him very well, right? We can understand that relationship a little bit when you have kids. There's times when your kid may scream out, I hate you, I don't want anything to do with you, but then the next day they're all cuddly and maybe they're not the next day but you still love them anyway right and so we get to understand that a little bit but God does that on an exponential scale that we just cannot understand and so once we understand that it is the gift of salvation is a gift and it's something that we have need to submit to his will to accept then we can move on to verse 10 and it seems like they are so close in the passage, but they're so miles away. Because if you don't understand the, the gift of grace and the salvation that comes with that, then you don't understand what it means to do good works. Okay? And you'll be like, well, I understand what it means to do good works. I do good works all the time. And I feel like I'm a good person, so I would understand that. But the problem with that mindset is when we think we do good works, we think we're going to earn our place into heaven. Because if you ever ask anybody... In the United States, you walk down the street and say, do you think, where are you going to go when you die? Well, I'd like to think I'd go to heaven. Well, why? Because oh, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. That's generally the response you're going to get. Every once in a while, I say, well, I'm going to hell because I know I'm bad. And then, well, there's, there's an opportunity to change that. You know, there's somebody that, that would you like to hear a story like that? And they may, they may not want to hear. But if somebody says, well, I'd like to think... There's a way to know, right? There's a way to know that you can get to heaven. And when you accept God's grace into your life and you ask for forgiveness of your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins, to cleanse us from all our sins, all our unrighteousness, right? And so when we understand that, we can move into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's masterpieces. He is painting a picture of time. Right? It is not bound by time. It is not bound by matter. It is not bound by space. And he keeps creating. It's molding and changing all the way through as we go through. And we see some amazing things happen. Right? We see new life. We see um, happiness and joy come from successes in those lives. We see um, when character is being developed and and we see our, our children maybe turning into men and women of God. And those are all things that are, are, are highlights that we're really excited about. I think when anybody has ever ex 
experience the birthing process. It is to see life breathed into your infant. There's nothing like it. They, they turn from this ugly gray blue to bright pink in like three breaths. And you can just see it walk up their skin. And it's just like, wow, it's God breathing life into them. It's just an amazing process. And so when we become part of that, we become part of this masterpiece. And when we understand in submission to that grace, through our faith in him, we move forward. And now I'm compelled to want to do good works because he loves me. The love of God is that's a great song. I just love, love, love that song. I've had a more appreciation for it over this last year than I have in, in a long time. So if we are his workmanship, if we are, then we have a desire to live like him and put our faith walk into action like he would do it. We want to live sacrificially. There's no greater love than a man laid down his life for a friend. And that's exactly what Christ Jesus did for us, right? Can you believe he calls us friend? The God who created the heavens and the universe calls you friend. And what do you know about your friend? You know your friend's name, right? I barely remember half your guys' names sometimes, but God knows your names. And uh, I'm doing pretty good today. I'm scanning the room. I, I think I got, got them down today. Uh, but I had, last week, I was sitting here till the third sentence in, trying to remember Lily Grace's name. I'm like, oh, come on, I know this. I only coached her for four years of volleyball. I'm just kicking myself. Oh, it was great. Good times. That's confession time by Pastor Shane. Right? Uh, so one thing we should not grieve. We should not grieve the giving up of our old self. Who, who does that in the Bible? Probably the best example of, of grieving in the Bible that you see that you're just like, oh, she shouldn't have done that, and it was a girl. Maybe she turned around while the, right? Lot's wife, she turns into a pillar of salt. She starts to grieve what she left behind. We're walking into nothing. We're walking into this village that doesn't have anything. I don't, there's no life for me there. What am I going to do? And... She turns around and she looks back. If I only, and that's probably all she got out. She turns into a pillar of salt because she grieves the Holy Spirit in a sense that she turns back to look at her old lifestyle. And that sounds harsh, but there is something to it that calls us away from that lifestyle. That There's danger in going back. There's danger in, in, in turning back to that. Because that's not who we are anymore. That's, that's not where we're going anymore. We have a different plan. We're going to follow God's plan. And now we have understanding. We start to understand the cost of the sacrifice of what it means to follow the Lord. It's not giving up on the, on the pleasures. It is not in giving up in the pleasures of this world. So we don't be like, oh man, I wish I could go out and drink. I wish I could cuss like a sailor. I wish I could do these things. Oh, high school was so much fun. I used to do all this stuff. I was like a wild, crazy man. No, it's grieving that lifestyle. I used to be that way. Now I don't need that anymore. I have a faith that allows me 
to stand on a foundation of Jesus Christ, I can live at peace, I can have joy, and I can have all the fun in the world without having that in my life. I can have something more, a lot more than, than what I used to. And be healthier, braver, more courageous in the process. All right? I remember going to college. It was, it was right around my 21st birthday. A lot of us were 20, turning 21. And we went out to uh, somebody who was getting their first drink. I, didn't, I, drank, I did drink one wine cooler on my, um, I almost puked it up, on my 21st birthday. That, that's, I, haven't, I don't drink that much. I just don't like the taste of the, the alcohol. It's not wrong to drink. It's wrong to get drunk, right? We're going to talk about that today a little bit. It's not wrong to drink. It's wrong to lose control in just about anything. It's not wrong to eat. It's wrong to be a glutton, right? It's not long, wrong to collect dice. It's, it's wrong to collect so much dice you can't live in your house, right? That would be another form of gluttony, by the way. So um, it can come in many forms, wanting what we lack kind of thing. So the, the cost of, of the sacrifice is giving up God's one and only son. That is the cost, it is not the cost that I've paid. It's the cost that he has paid for me. And he does that to save those who believe in him so they can be rescued from my sins. It, I haven't done anything to get there. I, haven't, I can't earn it. I, can't, I don't deserve it. We sing about that, right? But it's amazing love of God that has it for us. It is the double blessing that I was trying to remember about six months ago. I was, we were, remember that? We were, I was like, it's the double blessing. I can't remember. Well, I remembered this week, okay? The double blessing, it came back. Yay, now I lost my spot on the page. Great, <laughs> now it disappeared. So it is being rescued from death, hell, being separated from God, right? So that's what we deserve. That's where we are. If we don't choose God, we're going to go to hell. What's the danger in hell? It is um, forever being tormented. It is forever being in fire and pain and suffering. And there is nothing protecting you because what's protecting us right now from all that is God's grace. God's grace is extended on us even now that we might choose him. But it, when he pulls that hand of grace off, there is going to be utter torment for those who have not had the seal of Christ on their heart. And that's, that's scary. That's the reason why I became a Christian in the first place. Right? I don't want to go to hell. I want my fire insurance. So I am going to get out of that, and I'm going to accept Jesus as my Savior. But then later on, I'm like, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than just asking the Lord to be my Savior because there's, there's more than the, just the gospel message, right? That the good news that Jesus came and saved us and rescued us, saved us, rose from the grave. He tells us to live for him too. So not only do I want to make God my savior, but I also want to make him my Lord, right? And that means that I'm surrendering to his way. I'm going to follow his way. I'm going to go in his kingdom. I was thinking of myself as a knight and I'm up on the walls as a watchman. And I'm trying to bring other people in. I'm trying to protect other people out in the kingdom. Right? I am not under my authority. I, and this is, 
Okay, here's Shane's sick and twisted mind. But this is also popular amongst the teens these days. They like to say curb stomping. Well, we know what curb stomping is because it happened quite a bit around the local area, especially on the other side of the river in, I don't know, dragon territory, right? That's where you put somebody's mouth up to the curb and you stomp their head and that kills them, right? That's curb stomping, right? So we want to... I need to be able to go at the foot of Jesus on that curb, stick my mouth there, and say, if you want to kill me, you can. Otherwise, I'm going to serve you. That's how serious this moment of salvation is. That's, that's a big deal. He has my life in his hands. He can do whatever he wants. If he wants me to continue to live for him, I will live for him. If he wants to call me to heaven, I'm going to go to heaven. It's his will, not my will. That's lordship, okay? First one's salvation, second one's lordship, with, which stacks on salvation, right? Got to have salvation first. Can't have Lord without salvation, okay? So he rescues us from the sin and death, and then um, he allows us to have eternal life with him. So the first one is he rescues, the second one he saves us. He, he allows us to go to heaven. He allows us to be in a relationship. That double blessing is pretty amazing because we know when Christ enters our life, change is real. It is lasting, and it motivates us to do better. And if you don't have that motivation to do better, then I, I don't know if you have Christ in your life. I'm honestly pretty, pretty confident to say that you don't have Christ in your life. And so you need to go back to ground zero. How do I get salvation? Where have I gone wrong? What don't I understand about this? And I need to wrestle this over and over and over until I get step one right. Because step one's important. Amen? Salvation is everything. It's everything. And lordship is a pretty big deal itself, right? It just goes, when you get salvation right, lordship will just flow. Okay? So if you can get Romans 1 through 5 right, 5 through the end of 16, I think, it'll flow. It'll go. Right? Okay. Same with Ephesians. If you get 1 through 3 right, you can get 4 through 6 pretty easy. All right. So the second passage I want to point out, we talked about a little bit last week was Ephesians 4:17. With the Lord's authority I say this, no longer live as the Gentiles do. No longer live as the Gentiles do. Well, what's that mean? He kind of explains that in 22 and 23, which I'm going to reference. I can't remember if I quoted it directly or not. But it says we no longer live for our earthly pleasures. We know we are created for something so much more than that. Have you ever got to the end of a party? Have you ever, ever got to the end of a relationship? Have you ever got to the end and be like, wow, I feel more empty than when I started? There's got to be more to life than this because if there isn't, life ain't worth living. Well, I'm going to tell you today that Jesus Christ designed us to that because we will search for him until we find him. When we seek him, we'll find him. With, when we seek him, we'll find him. When we seek him with all our heart, right? So we got to look. We got to look. Where do you start looking? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's a good place. I'd start with John if you ever wanted to start reading. And you're like, Pastor, I don't have a Bible. I can get you one of those too. So we have that as well. We no longer live for the pleasures of this earth. We know we are created for something so much more, and 
And when we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and renew our thoughts and our attitudes, we become new creations. We pursue holy and righteous living because we were bought at the blood of Christ Jesus. And when which results in, in this peaceful mindset. Now, is it always peaceful? No, but I think when you walk with Christ and when you get in tune with him in your walk, I think that peace flows pretty easy. And when you, maybe if you're going the wrong way and he steers you back the other, that peace comes. Okay, I've seen it. I've felt it. I've experienced it. Um, it's awesome and amazing. And there's a desire to live sacrificially. What, what is love? What's it require? Sacrificial action, right? You got to have sacrificial action. Man, Pastor, it sounds like you say this all the time. I've known you for five years, and I think every five years you harp on the sacrificial action. Right, because it's kind of important, right? When you start living sacrificially, it shows that there's love in you. And if you have love in you, you have an open door to the Lord. you ever seen a marriage that's one-sided? Some of you guys I know in, in here are in a marriage that's one-sided. If you've ever married to a narcissist, you know what I'm talking about. And if you get into that relationship and you give and give and give and they take and take and take, that's a hard marriage to be in, isn't it? Think about that relationship. If we always, Lord, give me this. Lord, give me this. Lord, you are my my. Uh, candy machine, my vending machine, all I got to do is hit E4 and I get all the grace that I need, right? No. We receive grace because we want to live for him. We receive his mercy and his forgiveness and his kindness and his character of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. I think I forgot that one. I always forget faithfulness. It sneaks in there. Right? That is the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a couple minutes here. God's got something for us. And we have this desire to live sacrificially. The truth of God's word becomes our foundation. And we read in Isaiah 57, 17, and Petra wrote a song with these lyrics. It says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment shall be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Where's our righteousness from? From him, right? Our righteousness is from him. We don't have to be right standing with our fellow man, just as long as we're right standing with him. It makes it easier for right standing with our fellow man, but sometimes we need to stand on the truth. And the truth can be very abrasive. Very abrasive. Because when Christ dwells in our hearts, we reflect him in our lifestyle. That brings us to the passage today, and we're almost halfway done. Ephesians 4, 30 through chapter 5, verse 2. Some strong verses. I got into this. I looked at it so much last week. I started writing, and I'm like, the sermon's way too long. I can't do this. So I snuck in a couple verses we'll probably go back to next week. And we're going to hit some hard teachings next week. I think that's all hard from Ephesians 4 on 
because it's all application. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to live as Christians. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as sacrifice for us, and a pleasing aroma to God. Okay. Friends, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Okay, since we've got this theology down, since we've got this, that we're pulling off all these things in our life, guess what we're going to have to do next week? We're going to have to pull off more things out of our life, right? And put on more things, right? He, Paul is pretty thorough in this. But then what's he get into? gets into marriage. It gets into being uh, a good child, be a good employee or an employer. It gets into putting on the full armor of God. Right? We can't do those things without imitating God. Okay? That's really important. And it says in verse 30 in the, NI, in the NLT, it says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Okay, do not bring sorrow over a long period of time. That is to grieve, right? Sorrow over a long period of time is to grieve something. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, or we make the Holy Spirit grieve, it may be a better way for you to understand it, um, it brings pain to his heart. You're pouring heart garbage all over the Lord. That's, our, that's one of our... Uh, <laughs> Things we say at the house family. Got to get out your heart garbage? Yep. All right. So how do we bring sorrow over a long period of time to the Holy Spirit? Here are five ways we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying these are the only five. These are just like, there's, this is five in, in several. But this is five we're going to see in the passage of Scripture today. It's kind of over uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5. And so we're going to hit some of those highlights as we go. And then we're going to talk about five ways that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Five ways we can combat these things. So negative speech is one. Negative speech is the first one. Now, we talked about this quite a bit last week, so I'm not going to dwell on it, but I am going to hit it from a, a different angle. It says, um, who chooses our attitude? We do, right? I choose my own attitude. I have a, a choice whether I'm going to be a negative Nancy or a positive Paul. I don't know why I picked Paul. I just did, right? A negative Nancy or a positive Paul. And what are we going to do? In every situation, we have a, have a choice how we're going to look at that, right? And if you've ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Out Thou, I think, uh, is it Delbert? Is the, no, I think that's uh, the other one. The, he's got... So this guy breaks out of jail. It's, it's loosely based on the Odyssey, and he's trying to save his marriage, save his wife. She's getting married, and he's not having anything of it. And he convinces the two guys on his right and left that are chained up to him to break out of jail with them because 
of this treasure. Well, the treasure was only for him because it was to save his marriage. And as he goes, um, one of them gets along the journey, gets caught again, and they add 40 more years to his sentence. And they go and they have to break him out of jail again. And he's like, I had two days left on my sentence. And now they put me back in here for breaking out. I got 40 years, 40 years. When I get, I'm, he says, I'm 44 years old. When I get out of here, I'm going to be 84 years old. And it, it gets really quiet, and the tension is there in the movie. And the, the positive guy goes, well, when I get out, I'll only be 82, <laughs> which is only two years less, right? They'll probably give me 40 years, and I'll only be 82. It's like, all right. <laughs> but that, that is where... You can always see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can always see the positive side of life. There's always a time to be grateful for those things, right? So, the world says you can't, so don't try. You can't do it, so don't try. You don't know how. You're not talented enough. You don't know what you're doing, so don't even try. If you can't do it perfect, don't try. And I think perfectionism falls into this lie, right? Because we get to a place where, you know, I, I'd really like to be on the worship team, but I can't, I can't play it perfect, right? Well, guess what, folks? We can't play it perfect either, right? We are not perfection up here. We're triers. And I think that's one of the most important things to understand as we walk, Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at the beginning. But it's still worth doing, right? God says to pray. I, I don't know how to pray. God, help me. That's a poor prayer. But it's a prayer. And it's good to do at the beginning. It's better than nothing, right? So how can I expand on that one? Right? God, you're the maker of all things. Allow me to do this with your power and your will. And that's a little bit better prayer. And as we grow in our faith, we grow in our prayers. When we grow in our prayers, we grow in our knowledge of the Scripture. When we grow in our knowledge of Scripture, it compounds into a better way of life in Christ Jesus. So perfectionism falls in this line. If you've ever been told yourself or the others, this is, well, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Well, you're lying to yourself because either you're saying, I don't do it because I can't do it perfect, which is a lie. It's, 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 not, you, it's not a wrong statement. It's a wrong belief. Okay? Or the second one, I'm a perfectionist, and so I only do it by myself. Okay? I think about this when we, growing up on the farm, we're teaching somebody new how to do things around the farm. You can either teach them how to do it, or you can do it yourself. And there's certain jobs that you have to just do it yourself as the owner or the heir to the farm. You just got to know it, and they don't understand it. They don't understand to go out and look at a herd of cows, dairy cows, and understand which one's bloated. They don't know what to look for. They don't know understand what it means if you um, feed them rotten grain and how that's going to make them bloat, or if they have wet hay and how that can make them bloat. They don't understand that, so they're not going to look for that, right? And they don't understand that hay from the winter is probably you don't have to worry about that as much as hay in the summer because it's usually wetter. And they, a cow can overeat. Did you know a cow will eat itself to death? My favorite heifers that we ever had, 
we left the tailgate down on the corn. She ate herself to death. That was crazy, right? One of the best, probably the best heifer we ever had. And that was a hard lesson to learn from for some in our family. But if we believe the perfectionism that I can't do it because I can't do it to the best, my ability or whatever, the don't try lie, you're choosing to believe that in order to start, I must be good enough. Okay? Where do we see that today? I don't go to church because I'm not good enough to go to church. And when I get good enough, then I can go to church. Isn't that a lie? How many people here are good enough to go to church? I'm not, right? I sin every day. I mess up all the time. It is not about me. It's about Jesus. He saves me. So every time I mess up, I ask him, Lord, forgive me. And when he forgives me, then I can come and be good enough, right? I'm never going to be good enough. And I'm kind of glad because if I was good enough, then I would arrived. I'm not ready to arrive yet. Um, I'm still working on myself, right? So, but I'll do that with a group of believers that wants to work on themselves. And we'll, as iron sharpens iron, we'll sharpen one another and help each other grow. Amen? That's, that's faith walk. So you got to watch this. The other one... Um, but that can result in underachieving, right? I, I'm not good enough, so I'm not going to do it, so I never, ever achieve being a Christian. Or I, um, I'm not good enough to play the piano in the service, so I'm never going to do it so, because I, I'm just not going to try. I'm not going to practice, but I'm not going to try because I know what I want. I can hear it up in my head. If you could only hear what was in my head when I played the guitar up here, you'd be like, wow, you really suck at guitar. <laughs> Because I know what I want, and it's not coming out, right? But I can get good enough to, to get by, right? And I can play the guitar a lot better by itself and not sing. But that would be a little bit weird if I was like, okay, go. You know, I just toss it to you. That's not right. Somebody needs to lead, so that's what we do, right? And sometimes I get to play it by myself, and sometimes I don't. And I'm okay with that. Because if I were just to quit, then nobody's blessed, right? There's no, there's, it's just really, it's exponential. My not trying affects everybody in this room then, right? Or I can do it by myself. Well, y'all aren't good enough to do with me, so I'm just going to play my guitar and sing, and I just want you guys to listen. That's not right either, is it? That's like, ugh, that, that, that was hard for me to say right? I want to see you guys have the joy of the Lord and come alongside with my joy as I'm encouraged by you and you're encouraged by me and the volume just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. That's always my goal on Sunday morning worship. You're like, oh great, I didn't know that. Uh, It is. But the fear that somebody else will mess up, that they're not good enough. No, I don't have that, by the way, when it comes to peer. This this is my best example because this is where I use it all the time, right? We're bringing in, um, we allow the keyboard to help us out. We can play the whole piano with one chord on, on the, the right hand. Uh, we allow youngins to come in and play guitar when they're not used to our style and music. And that's great. We don't care. We love them. 
We love that they're here. We love that they're trying, right? C, C.1, we try. We keep going. The problem is if we were just to be the audience of one or if we're just the, the performer in a sense, and you can perform in so many ways, right? The kitchen crew, oh, you, you don't clean the dishes enough, I'm going to do it all by myself. Well, nobody's going to learn how to clean the dishes. And when they're older, they're not going to know how to clean dishes. And so you're not making any disciples of dishwashers or teaching them how. Or you can say, well, somebody else did that for me. Can you see how that gets very self-centered and selfish really quickly? So the next generation falls short. Or they don't want to learn. Or they don't become a Christian because they haven't been taught how to do that. Instead, we want to purify your speech. Ephesians 5.19 says, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and make music to the Lord your, in your hearts. Worship music is the best. I put it on, I get a song stuck in my head that is focused on the Lord, and I sing it through the day. That's how I meditate on God's Word. Uh, anchor. It's probably going to be stuck on my head today. Uh, I, I enjoy that song, and it reminds me to keep my hope and my faith in Christ Jesus. So it's great for your soul. It's great for your daily walk. It helps your attitude. It is one of the best things that you can do changing the music that you listen to. And you can say, and I've heard it so many times. We were just talking about this yesterday. Um, there's no Christian music like what I like to listen to. Well, that's a lie that you can choose to believe. But if you have Spotify or Pandora, you can find plenty of Christian music that sounds just like Usher, that sounds just like any hard rock music that you want. There might not be as much of it, but there's good quality music out there. You have to do some searching for it. And when I hear there isn't any, that means I don't want to try to find it. Can you see that? Where it's, You're making excuses, right? When Christ, when Christ dwells in our hearts, we reflect him in our lifestyle. Number two, I promise they're not as long as that number one is. Uncontrolled emotions. We see this in verse 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Bitterness generally comes from unforgiveness. Somebody really hurts you and you're not willing to let it go and you hang on to that, it turns to bitterness. And that changes a person. It affects them over a long period of time. It can even lead them out of their salvation, in my opinion, unless you believe that nothing can go there. But you become ineffective in your faith walk then. It's dangerous, bitterness is. Rage, uncontrolled anger. You just flare up at all times. You can, you can just get angry and don't know why. Well, that's, that's rage. That's not anger. You can't control it. You black out. Sometimes, I don't know what I did. I, I, I can't remember. That's rage. That's uncontrolled anger. And anger, what's that? It's un unchecked emotion, right? It's something you're passionate about because if you think about love and anger, they're very, very similar in the sense that you, you're very passionate about that person one way or the other. They make me so angry, right? Well, and extroverted person like myself, 
I proceed to spew my heart garbage all over you and tell you why I'm angry at them, right? I got I to gotta watch my mouth. I don't want to gossip or slander that person. So that's something that I could do there that I, I need to keep in check. So unchecked emotion. How am I going to process these emotions so that I can get that? The best, best way is to take it to the Lord in prayer. And empathize. Put yourselves in their shoes. Why, why, am I, why are they making me react this way? How can I uh, work my life to uh, understand theirs a little bit better? Harsh words. I would call that a short tongue. You ever have somebody that's got, you're like, oh, I wish I, wish I would have said this, but they always say it. They always have that harsh word they can come back in that, with that little quip and just get you, right? That's, that's what harsh words are. It's being able to control your tongue and not say those things. And then slander. Slander, I would say, be spreading unwholesome and damaging lies, okay? Which is similar to gossip, but I would say gossip is spreading unwholesome truths. So you can know somebody that has slept around all their life, and you can say, well, they're kind of they're loose, or they're a whore, and that would be true. But it's also gossip. It's not kind, Right? There's other ways that you can come alongside and think of that person. They've had a, a rough go of it, and they need some friends. That'd be also a truth right there, but that's uplifting, isn't it? To say, now to say that that is completely, well, they're, they're a murderer and a thief. Well, no, I'm not. Um, that would be slander. And they're an evil person. I, you, can, you can do that with an organization and say how wicked they are. That's... That's not right either. That's slander. That's, I would say it's deeper than gossip. And all types of evil behavior. Instead, what should we do? We should be kind and forgive each other. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ forgave you. Kind. Often our children set the best example in this, don't they? Kindness, you can usually, usually see it in children and you're like you haven't seen my kids well i've seen mine but there's moments where they're just you're like ah you know that that comes out that's the kindness that we want to emulate showing kindness through compassion and empathy putting yourselves in their shoes is a great way to be the hands and feet of jesus tender-hearted oh they're so tender-hearted a lot of times today what that means is that they're kind of weak they're kind of uh, they don't have a backbone. But that's not what it means at all. Tenderhearted means to alleviate pain. When somebody is in pain, they see the suffering, they go up and, and they hug that person. That's being tenderhearted. When they see that they're struggling with walking through life because they just got hit with a blow, and you go and um, help them out with, maybe it's a funeral, maybe it's a, a birthday party, maybe it's um, a death in the family or or life, sometimes that can bring tough times, but you see a new mother that hasn't got any sleep, and you go and help and watch the baby. That's tenderhearted. We have a lot of tenderhearted people in here. The second's like it. It's giving thanks. In Ephesians 5.20 says, in, And give thanks to everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus 
Christ. The attitude of gratitude is one of our best weapons against the wickedness and selfishness and greed. We talked about that early on in Ephesians. Attitude of gratitude, giving thanks to God and being appreciate what we have and content with what we have is a great tool. Thank the Lord for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Right? Number three, falling for deceptions. And we're getting close to that season. When we fall for the lies of others that others tell. Well, where do we see lies in the mainstream media today? We see it in politics, right? And it's not the fact that they're they're telling lies, they're telling the truth, but they put such a slant on it that it is one-sided. They haven't told the full story. And we see that a lot, and we'll see that as the election season comes along, right? And this happens all the time. So ask yourself about these politicians. Do their ideals match up with biblical truths? Because if they do, are they telling the full story? So you need to get both sides of the story. It doesn't stop when you just hear what you want to hear. You got to hear the other side too. And because there's some value in that. So if, if they've only given you one side and it doesn't match up with God's word, no, they have not given me something that's biblical truth. So I am not going to give much weight to their words. Okay? If it's yes, that they do have a point there, then I better be able to explain the why. Okay? I can't just say, well, he said it, so it must be true. Well, you know what I'd say to you? At that point in time, this might be a little rude, but I would say, bah, because you're a sheep, right? You have to discern this truth for yourself. That's why we have God's word. It has to be balanced against that at the minimum, right? Whew, ouch, stepping on my toes. All right. Slid off the page there. So we need to thank the Lord for what he's doing, what he's done. And we need to be grounded in the truth. And if you want to find what we've always said about finding counterfeits, you don't study the untruth, you study the truth. If you're trying to find counterfeit money, you don't study counterfeits, you study the real thing so you know what it looks, feels, and smells like that in, in the case of money. So study the truth. Watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. We see that in Matthew 7, 15. <clears throat> and instead, we need to walk in love. Ephesians 5, 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice, as pleasing aroma to God. Christ gives us the perfect example to live by. Acts 17, 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. That's how I memorize it and exist is what it says here. I like, and have our being. And then we sing the VBS song for that one too. That's how I came to that one. I won't sing it yet. The, the world says, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. It must be good. It feels good. God's way says, giving to give results in the joy to the world. Sometimes when you give to give, you go without. Sometimes when you give to give, that means you go without. When this becomes a lifestyle, it results in a joy-filled life. I was talking, I remember one sermon that Kim Riggenbach gave to us, and it was uh, Family Holdback, um, uh, FHB. If, it, if he would say to 
family, FHB. That means you need to let your guests go first. They need to get what they want. We might not have enough to feed everybody. So then you can get after and take a regular portion size, right? Or family, we have enough. That was the other one. And so he would say that. And so when they had family gatherings and over, that's what they would say. And I remember that, and I apply that to my own life. Um, do we have enough, or do we need to hold back? Because when Christ dwells in our life, we reflect in him in our lifestyle. Number four, stealing. Again, we talked about this last week, but I also want to remind you, when we don't have that little small voice in our head saying this is wrong, that's a bad thing. We've justified it away, and bad behavior, and we've not only grieved the Holy Spirit, but we've quenched it at that point, and that is not good. We want that fire to burn bright in our lives, and therefore we'd be fooling ourselves. We need to become imitators of God. He loved us sacrificially by giving his son, so we, and he set the example, the ultimate example for us to follow. He purchased us with the blood of his one and only son. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, and this is in regards to sexual um, sin, but it applies to any sin. It says, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Mind, soul, and strength, I would also say. When Christ dwells in our, our hearts, we reflect him in our lifestyle. Number five, and, and finally, you're like, finally. You said we we're going to be short. Sorry, it wasn't short. <laughs> drunkenness, right? Drunkenness. What do I mean by drunkenness? Because I just touched on that earlier. Losing control of your cognitive state. Why would we want to do that? A lot of people drink to forget, right? We drink to forget pain. There's pain in our life. We don't want to remember it. Don't want to remember that. Only Christ can truly alleviate pain. He's the only one that can remove that burden totally. And I would say drunkenness extends just as much to other drugs as it does to alcohol. Okay, we generally think of alcohol, but you can get the same effect from other drugs as well. It says in Ephesians 5.18, do not fill yourself up with wine and get drunk with what uh, will lead to wild living. When we live to fulfill our pleasures, we can easily con- be controlled by our pleasures. And since I brought it up on my 21st birthday, I was at college in the dorms with a bunch of non-Christians. So what did I do? I came out after I drank that one wine cooler and I almost puked. I really did because I chugged the last, because it tasted so gross. But I was going to say, I did this. That was not the right decision to do. And I came out like I was plastered. And the reactions on their faces were, See, he's just like us. My testimony was going through the floor, and I could see it, but I also knew that there was going to be the big reveal. And I said, I'm not drunk. What do you want me to do? I can do any sobriety test. I'm not drunk at all. And um, they're like, oh, because anytime growing up, uh, whether it's working in the farm or anything, it's always, um, we'll get you to smoke before you get us to quit. Well, you might because you probably won't ever quit, but I'm never going to start, so we'll get you cussing before um, we'll stop cussing. That one almost, you always win that battle as a Christian, right? Because they hear that and they hear intelligence speak, 
and they want to speak intelligently, right? So the produce of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians or Galatians 5, 2, 22 and 23 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. These fruits will show up in a Christ believer's life. If you have Christ in your life, these will produce. You will see these in your life. Galatians 5, 24 and 25, I think is kind of where the application is. It says, those who belong in Christ Jesus have nailed these passions and desires of their sinful natures to the cross and crucified them there. Where do you find those? You find those in verse 19, 20, and 21. Okay? You'll have to go back and read those. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, folks. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. That's even more important. But follow his ways. How do I know what his ways are, Pastor? I need to get into his word. Open up your Bible. Start in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Move into Romans. Look at Acts. See how the early church went through. Those are all important. Find out how it ends. Go to Revelation. How's it all going to end? Jesus wins, by the way. He does. Um, And he invites you to be on his team. Right? But the choice is yours. That's a choice you want to make today. I'd love to talk to you after the service. And we've given our passions and desires to the Lord. We are now led by the Spirit in every part of our lives. And so therefore, Christ dwells in our hearts, and we can reflect him in our lifestyle. And if you ever read 1 John, the whole five chapters of it, which isn't very long, you'll see those are evidences that Christ lives in your heart. And that's a pretty awesome thing. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you encouraged Paul to write this to the early church, to people that he loved and and has transcended through the ages of how you've loved us. Lord, I pray that we would adopt this lifestyle so that we could come to know you in in a mighty way. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a disciple-making lay of life in Christ Jesus. And as we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our paths, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you're sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like, excuse me, disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people who love others, who make disciples and make more disciples. Add infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.